No Jember, coolest podcast in the world, and today I'm here with uh, a legend, if you will, Big Kaz. My man. We've been working on making this podcast happen for a moment, and we're finally in here. So what, you're recording because you want to make sure that if I take anything out of context that uh, you could you could hold me liable? <laughs> nah, man, I feel like I'm with a celebrity, and I don't hang out with too many cats. So me? Folks, you folks don't hang out with see. too many people? I don't hang out. I ride motorcycles, that's it. Really? Yeah, man, that's it. But you must hang out with a lot of fucking cats doing that, right? Well, I'm in a club, so yeah. Yeah, a lot of the baddest motherfuckers in the world are motorcycle guys. You know, we're good Catholic boys. That's what we tell law enforcement. (laughs) Right. Man, because I grew up uh, like right outside Boston, and there was always uh, different wars going on between different motorcycle crews that I was, you know, sort of hearing about through the grapevine, so. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's, a, you know, my birth mother, who, who, uh, you know, had a favor for the darker side, white woman that. Right. She, uh, my first experience was meeting the chosen few, which is the oldest mm. generation, just celebrated 60 years. And, uh, I put, I put that documentary out, Life of a One Percenter, mm-hmm. just growing up in it. And I don't know how to be anything else but a one percenter. Cause to a lot of people, it's like unheard of the idea that you could be a crip and you could be this motorcycle dude and that those worlds rarely overlap, or at least from my perspective, is that accurate? I'm glad that you just said that because I don't really get, I get like, Two percent hatred, mm. but <laughs> the 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 tough guy fingers, right? Which I'm sure you experience also. Oh yeah. Um, I I never, and nothing in any mannerisms, just my verbiage. I have nothing against homosexuality, but I think you have to be almost partially gay to troll another man mm. to say the things that they say. Right. Like, how can you go from being uh, a, a crip to a motorcycle dude. And what do you think most of us came from? Right. But one, why are you paying that much? Your, your dick ain't going to get no bigger. Mm. Your girlfriend ain't going to like you no more. You can't put me on your taxes because you done took time on the internet. But yeah, a lot of street cats. And then it's just every day, you know, 24 seven working class. Me, I'm an outlaw. I don't, mm. I don't abide. I'm not religious. I don't abide by anybody's rules. I wake up. Who am I here with? By myself. Mm. But let somebody tell it. Oh, and I didn't find, I just found out the other day, I didn't know that I wasn't allowed to say nigger. My real name is Guillermo Elan. Mm. When I got to Folsom Penitentiary, I'm from rolling 60s. So we know what color I went with. Right. So, you know, I don't, I don't live by anybody's rules of how they feel they should dictate me right well i mean like for someone like you it's kind of like an old school dude it is weird to think that like something totally normal like i'm i'm sure you grew up saying the n-word and it was uh, no big deal but then all of a sudden in this new social media age it's like everybody's being judged and nobody gives a fuck about the work you put in or your history or where you're coming from right if i sat and thought at 12 years old when pd whack came down third avenue on a beach cruiser mm. said we putting homies on the hood on the turf and I got thundered right in my front yard. I felt I was part of the in crowd. So whatever they saying, I'm saying. Whatever they doing, I'm doing. Mm-hmm. They with the bullshit, I'm with the bullshit. But now, the Kardashians are famous. Mm. Anything is plausible. And everything that happens on the internet is potentially something that's going to be sent out to millions of people. Yeah, and, and look, everybody knows about my run-in, but it's like I'm watching, I'm watching people... I, 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 there's a new song that I have called um, 
dig up the dust. And in the song, I say Instagram thoughts. I didn't know what thought meant. I just said Instagram thoughts become famous. Kardashian. Literally. 2%. But it was like, yo, why he dissing them? Why the fuck are you bigging them up? Who cares? Like, yeah. they're, they're famous for absolutely nothing. But on some <laughs> pimp shit, go get your money, girls. Yeah, good for you. But at the same time, it's like, what? that's what's so crazy about this world that we live in is that anybody who has an opinion about anything is potential fodder for being all over the blogs and the news. It's like anyone, like literally if you were to sit here right now and if you were to say, man, I don't like Travis Scott's music. Right. It doesn't matter that he's ridiculously successful and that he doesn't give a fuck about what you think and everything. It's like that alone would be a fucking big story. Oh, that weird. Like you're not allowed to have an opinion now. I've owned the Tupac masters now since 2007. Uh huh. I wasn't tripping on the internet in 2007. Right. But I'm the one that set across at my ranch in Arizona for Molly Maginet, who's the estate mm -hmm. attorney. I'm the one that know who my checks were cut by. But because I said I didn't like Tupac, and I don't mean no, no, I don't give a fuck out anybody. Am I allowed to curse? Of course. All right. I don't care whether if it's the dude who manages game. I don't care who it is. When I said it, I said it as an ignorant-ass gangbanger from Rolling 60 Crip. Mm. And I didn't have to like him. You know, I always say, the day you go to the swap meet and Mrs. Kim sells you black hair care products, you kind of lost. Mm. So the fact that Pac was from Buffalo, New York, and was here throwing up the dub, I was just that kid that went, nah. Mm -hmm. That got me not backlash to the way... But I wasn't allowed to have an opinion. Mm. And then when, when Nipsey passed, who I've known since he was 12 years old. Right on the hand. Um, I said, Nipsey is what Tupac could have never been. Mm. Or Snoop. And I don't have a relationship with Snoop. We know of each other, but we, mm. we actually did one song together. But I'm proud of what Snoop has done. But when I said that, I was like, yo, keep Pac out your mouth. Or else what? Right. Well, it's what? Well, it's weird. I saw my boy O3 Greedo go through the same thing where he said, I don't give a fuck about Pac. I got a metal leg. Yeah. You know, he's from a more verified gang background than Tupac was. And it's like people, people are very invested in keeping this myth about Tupac and alive. I'm, right? And I'm again, if you were a fan, then keep his history alive. But keep him out your name or what? Mm. I'm saying it about my little homeboy who's dead. Why the fuck am I going to? Big up Pac when I lost one of mine. Mm -hmm. So then it was like, why bring his name up? Because Nipsey actually, he didn't complain. He, I was there when he was on Crenshaw Sloss and selling socks. I was there when he was selling the white tees. I was there after I put Nipsey on his first record. It was a Dr. Dre tribute album. And I put him on his first big record. Mm -hmm. Nipsey followed me to every California record store Knowing he's from the turf, still super active. Mm -hmm. And he'd be out there selling his CDs. Right. But if you wanted that issue, he'd go ahead and sign that check for you. Mm -hmm. But now we're not allowed. And I, my life is a paradox because I live in the suburbs of Arizona, beach home. I've owned the same sports bar for seven years. I don't, only active thing that I do is I get on my motorcycle. And if you have a misunderstanding, I want to make sure you overstand what you're going to do is wrong. Mm -hmm. But, and I'll say this to interlude to you. Cats will say this little punk shit, but I literally have followed you 
I just thought, yo, who's this fucking white boy? This dude is with the shit. And not like you. And, and <laughs> but for years, I'm talking about when you first started, you and your girl from your apartment. Really? And it's correct. Was yeah. it from your apartment? Yeah. And I was like, I remember showing it to a partner of mine. I said, yo, this dude's gonna blow. Wow. Then I started watching the backlash. You started getting, oh, yeah. and you get, you get small percentage, right? Because your paycheck proves different. Bro, you know the best feeling in the fucking world is just having like, so many people that are against you and then still being able to be successful. Like right. I'm so thankful that I've experienced the the adversity that I have because if it wasn't for that, I can't I don't feel like this would feel that good. But having been able to beat thousands of people who wanted to shit on me and say whatever they wanted to say about me, I mean, I can't even begin to say how much how great that feels. Well, because my daddy, you know, who raised me. Um, my birth father was Latino, never met him. You know, he's murdered. But the man who raised me used to say a phrase, which he had many of me. God rest his soul. I don't believe in God, but wherever he's at, rest his soul. I don't believe in God either, but I say, like, on God and shit like that all the time. It just feels right. Um, He said, people that hate on you, that don't stop you from eating, breathing, or sleeping, do not waste your time. Now, if you want to say something to go, yeah, but real quick, let me just, you know, I had a cat. I've never in my life responded to a, a troll on YouTube. This one, I needed to. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't remember the young man's name. I'm sure he masturbates and uses his tears as lubrication. But <laughs> but you can use that, by the way. But, uh, but this cat said some of the most dangerous shit. And this little fuckboy window licker said that I was a rat. He had paperwork on me. See, we don't play that game. Mm. At 21, you could say that, and somebody that want to get some stripes may follow up on that. At 31, you're like, yo, somebody's still saying that shit? The age I'm at now, I needed to respond, and I literally went fact for fact, my administration number, my processing number, and I said, the only reason why I'm doing this is because what you're saying creates a troll list. Mm. I don't play the paperwork game, because... One thing about me is I go everywhere by myself. When you got that tag on you, you first of all, you ain't nowhere. Mm-hmm. And if you are, you're somewhere that's safe for you. So the trolling thing, like I said, I don't get a lot of it. Um, people have asked, why have I not done my brother Kev Max show? Because I'm from 60s and he's from 60s. I don't, I'm in a different, and what he's doing is beautiful. Mm-hmm. But it's like I need to do his show at my age to get validation. Like you, Kev is, bro, I've watched you and I've watched him take it to levels that most folks can't. Mm. Like I watched you when you were up at Kanye's listening party. He produced a couple joints on my album a few years ago. No, it's been actually since yeah, 2011. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yay. My manager was, was Steve Lobel from Bone Thugs and Harmony, Mo Thugs. Mm-hmm. And I was with Bone from. 99 to 2012. Okay. And and what was your role in that? I rapped. I was original, Mo, well, second generation Mo Thugs. But I just, Busy took a liking to me. Everybody, not Busy, fuck Busy. Lazy <laughs> took a liking to me. Um, everybody knows a story between me and Busy and something that happened and a chain went missing and that story's got no to beating that elephant to death. <laughs> but Lazy showed up on 10th Ave on Dime Block to come get Busy's chain back. Mm. And... When I got out of prison, uh, this is who picked me up from prison. 
And, you know, I can send this to you, you can show it later, whatever you may be, but I'm still in my jumpsuit. Wow, Ice-T came and picked you up? And that's lazy on the other side. Wow, that's and crazy. you notice I'm still in my jumpsuit. Damn, you look pretty good as a young man. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, brother, thank you. But, you, you know, know. That outfit's pretty close to what you're wearing right now. Pretty much. Aside khaki, from the Louis khaki. boots down there, Louis Timberlands. <laughs> oh, you got those, you yeah, got yeah, those. Yeah, those yeah. were good. Well, I appreciate all, yeah. all good drip, yeah. <laughs> but but through and through, I, uh, those years I was with them, you know, Steve founded me. There's three people I got to thank, thank in this music. And that was Steve Lobel, who was like, yo, I heard about this Crip dude, blah, blah, blah. We had a run in, um, Lazy Bone and Ice-T. But Steve was in the studio with Kanye. Kanye heard me on uh, a joint, Damian Young. I don't know if he's Power 106, Powerhouse. Mm -hmm. Now he's doing something else. And he'd be like, yo, who is that? And long story short, he produced two joints for me. But I was done at that time. I just had a single with Akon called Street Life, shot the video. I wouldn't even leave Arizona to go shoot my part. Mm. Why? You married to Arizona now? Yeah, man. What is that? How do you end up leaving L.A. and deciding to live this sort of more quiet life out there? I have always been an introvert. You know, if you go by the actions of what somebody's doing right at this moment, you would think, oh, that's what he does. But what does he do the other 23 hours of the day? Right. cool being by myself. Ice-T lives in Arizona when he's not filming. Mm. And... I bullshit you not. This is really my story. We got snowed out in Flagstaff, and he said, look, instead of going back to the next town, which is Tucson, just come by the house. Well, I toured Arizona for 10 years, and I stopped at his house, and when I looked at the house, and I was like, well, it's 112 outside, but this air conditioning feels amazing. Mm. And then he took me to a Walmart. You live in Los Angeles. When's the last time you went to a Walmart? Never, but I remember when I first moved here, I just put in Walmart into my phone. I was living downtown, and I ended up at some mall Walmart in, like, Compton or some shit. That was didn't so. Wanna, didn't you want to slit your fucking wrist, the crowds? Not and... the same Walmart experience, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it, to me, when I walked in, and it was like, yo, white people work here. Mm. I was walking up to white people like, yo, you work here? Like, you pay your mortgage with this? <laughs> and I just, I fell in love with Arizona, man. And, and um, I, sh I, sh you know, went back and forth because my daughters were still young. I had four girls. So I kept the house on the beach. And people were like, how did you move from this beautiful beach house to Arizona? Mm. Well, I have a pool. I never got in the dirty-ass beach water anyway. I just wanted to live on the beach. Mm. But, yeah, Arizona's home, man. You know, I, I, I have most moments. I think when I was supposed to meet with you the last time, I was at my beach house. Mm. And I like Arizona. Really nice. Works better. Yeah, I feel that. I always wonder when my time's going to come that I want to like move away from all this bullshit. Uh, probably sooner than later. <laughs> you'll, you'll know. You know, I just, uh, I got here last night. Um, I had to do something. And then I actually saw my ex-wife today. Really? Been three years. Three years. Three years. And I realized, not to get too personal, but I realized I'm content where I'm at. And I could see in her eyes, she's content where she's at. And as much as a mushy moment, it was like, yo, if I can get my old lady back and we could do it by plane, I would never leave Arizona. Mm. If I can get my old lady back, you know what I mean? She still means a lot to you like that? You haven't moved on past her? Three years. Really? And through and through, you know, when she sees this, I'm a piece, I'm an ex piece. Hi, my name is Guillermo Ilan and I'm an ex piece of shit. Like, I was the dude that put some of the biggest porn stars in the porn business. Huh. The big Jade Marcella. Oh, that doesn't make you a piece of shit, though, right? Well, I, I was a facility and I was a drug dealer. Mm. You know, it's been no mystery 
I was a facilitator of, here's the difference. If I was an agent, then that young lady, after she got 12 gangbangs, she went home with some money. No, the money went to me. Oh, okay. So I hate the word pimp. My birth mother was a prostitute. Um, so to have someone, and she, polar opposite, for her to accept my lifestyle, music, ex-street dude, biker, literally 1% away from giving zero fucks, seeing her today, we just kind of did an interlude, didn't we? Uh, seeing her today, it's like, yeah, I would, I would walk away from everything. Still stay where I'm at. I'm never going to leave Arizona, you know, the freedom. But, yeah, man, you know, I see the love you got for your girl. Mm. You know, say her name? It's true. Lena. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Lena. <laughs> this is yeah. probably one she won't end up watching. You don't watch a whole lot Bro, of when you, Whenever you get mushy, they never watch those. Mm, you know right? I mean? Or if I tell her, if I tell her, oh, I was talking about you on the podcast today, boom, she's watching the whole Speaking thing. Speaking of that, I got something for both of you guys. Man. Oh, shit. Look at this. Um, Out the Louis fucking backpack, too. So, is that, is that what that is? Is that what that is? So, you know, I, me, Lazy Bone, and Red from Booyah Tribe originally started the Head Knocker Line. Wow, all right, here we go. And, you know, we, we were supposed to do an album and never did. Well, you got a hoodie and a sweatshirt, my brother. No we, guns, all hands. I don't please, know if I can abide by that. Man, please, put your fucking hands <laughs> I got up. no I'm hands. So, <laughs> I need guys with guns okay, around it's me. It's okay, then use the other cats. <laughs> well, guess what? You do have hands. You point. And then uh, this is my line, Sex Addict Clothing, and that's Lena. Ooh, Sex Addict Clothing. More yeah. than an, it's lifestyle. a lifestyle. Okay, yeah, hell yeah. And uh, the site will actually, I took it down. You know, I go through my, not bipolar, but tripolar moments. Oh. And I was like, ah, I don't want to do this. Right. But the site is headknockersclothing.com, which, you know, when you put this, or I'll see in the link, it'll be back up next week. Because I announced it the other day that I was putting it back up, and I think there's... 2,000 pre-orders already. Really? I've always been behind, please, at least try to fight. Mm. You know what I mean? Just please try. Take an ass whipping. Right. You know what I mean? Before you grab that gun. Right. Because if you can't, then just pass on the fade altogether. Right. Now, can I whoop everybody? No, that's impossible. Everybody gets an ass whipping. You know, I, if, if you ever notice as you talk to me, I do this. I was shot in the head. I had Parkinson's. So my right leg is fake. Really? The knee all the way up, and then I, I was shot in the head. And, you know, these young men had to do what they wanted to do. Mm. And my thing has always been like, damn, you could at least gave me a fair one. It was, I think, four or five of y'all. When you were growing up in the Crips, was it still the era of people fist fighting? Yes, because mm. I got in in 70, 78. When did things start to change? Uh, 80... Probably when crack really, you know, when crack, you know, it was always like you knew that one dude that had that, that 38, or you knew that one dude that had that AK. Um, but probably around 84, 85, for me that I remember, because mm. at that point, crack had became uh, this enormous thing of dysfunction where you could turn on a street that you normally used to turn down and you got 20 cats running to one car. Mm. You know, when I first started selling drugs, I was 19. Mm -hmm. And of all places, I knew somebody that lived up in Baldwin Hills. Now I'm from, my bad, they lived in the jungle. Okay. And I'm from 60s. And that's a black peace stone neighborhood. But mm -hmm. I knew a very, very... And it was kind of an untouched market. 
And again, not glamorizing. I, to me, I will say I was a piece of shit because I was there to, I'll clear some up real quick. I did an interview and I said, uh, something about a sports player that I used to facilitate drugs where it was taken out of context. I was saying I was that dirt bag that was there to supply him with his medicine for his addiction. There was, I won't say his name again, but there was no mystery that this person was what he was. It was very publicized. Mm. But what I've come to realize, you got to be a little more sensitive because of where somebody is right now, because his son heard this, other people heard this. So if you're listening, I apologize. Um, but your addiction was your addiction. Mm. But in those days, to general, to go back to your question, we didn't care. Me, I've always been the opposite. I hate guns. Mm. I would, I would have more of a thrill of knocking you the fuck out and actually being angry. Like, bro, I wish you really wouldn't have, because I've been doing this since I was a kid. Mm. But the guns became warfare and it makes sense because it's like if you're beefing with somebody over a girl or over some stupid shit somebody said something about somebody then a fist fight makes sense all of a sudden when you're beefing over tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars then shooting somebody makes a lot of sense and yeah. that, that the crack thing sort of changed it where all of a sudden this was a big business for a lot of people my first night of selling drugs selling crack was like on a wednesday night and i remember making 1900 bucks and few hours right which is might as well be a million to you at that at 19 point, right? mm. you know 1900 dollars in one night and by the third night it got around to some other cats and me and my homeboy won't say his name we standing out front is a big beautiful part if you ever go up into the jungles you know that used to be baldwin park for baldwin hills mm. i actually have spent a lot of time there because there's a, a baseball diamond with these green ledges all around it that skateboarders and BMX riders go yes. to all the time yes. and they don't get robbed yeah. somehow yeah, or well, at least very often. Right. Well, you've seen the palm trees over there. Yeah. So I'm leaning on the palm tree and two cats pull up and was like, Hey, y'all got work. And I hesitated to say something, but my partner was like, yeah. And they opened up on us. You know what I mean? And we were shot with shotguns. Then I was shot in 2000 when I got shot, but to show you how ignorant and defiant I was, I got hit all in the chest, these little marks here on my head. I was selling dope the next night. My only mission was to find out who those twos were mm. and get that situation handled. But yeah, guns became the foreplay of rivals mm. at that point. Definitely. Let me ask you about a sort of specific modern day thing. There's a post on the blog world over the course of the past few days. A lot of people making a big stink about it on Twitter saying that it's hypocritical for Dr. Dre to show Nipsey Hussle love right now because he never supported him during his actual career. Do you believe that that's an accurate statement? No, no. You could show love when you want to show love. Where was everybody when Dre's son died? My daughter went to school with Dre's son. They were best friends. Dre produced a song on the same album that Kanye produced on that doesn't mean me and Dre are cool but where was everybody at when Dre lost his son mm. he dealt with it his own way he didn't bro so I don't follow my seals I literally just joined Instagram when you told me we were going to interview I was like all right well I guess I better do this social media thing wow really yeah no I don't I YouTube that's that's uh, uh, <laughs> I'm glad I could help you into the, <laughs> the social media much. world I, yeah I will probably be deleting it next week what? Uh, come on but I don't follow it um, I can only speak of the way you're stating it right now. Whether or not if you ever gave Nipsey a song, 
Here's what I said when Nipsey passed and thousands upon thousands. Who am I to say how people should mourn? Mm. But how many of you guys went and spent $130 on one of his hoodies? Right. I was there when Nipsey started doing the showroom and I asked him, why did he push the prices up so much? And he answered perfectly. He said, because none of these people in my hood deserve the right to be paying $130. But because I have a, a form now, people overseas will. Mm. You know, my daughter wanted some stuff. I went and spent 1300 bucks, And I walked out with eight hoodies, a hat, and some shirts. And it, it, You know what I mean? It's My thing is, before you get upset with Dre, how many of you actually went in and bought his product? Mm. He, made, he made majority of his money overseas. You know what I mean? But when the beauty was when you start seeing people of other color at his store. But why why talk shit about Dre? Like what what are you gonna do? Right. Like again, like don't you have those points where you just wanna go, or what? Like right. the two like or what? Well, it's crazy how in the course of a couple months from Nipsey passing to right now, he's gone from just, you know, a man that a lot of people had respect for and everything. But now people are already treating him like a god and like it was an offense for Dre to have not worked with him and stuff like that. It's like it's this weird thing that happens when people die where they start treating him as if like they they were really like a, a god like during their life. Nipsey has siblings left, correct? He's got a daughter and a son. Right. Now, by Dre mentioning his name, isn't that going to drum up even more attention for Nipsey? Mm. So, Wait, so how did you feel when he passed? What was that like for you to find out? I was on my motorcycle up in a town called Cave Creek. It's a biker town Okay. Um, in Arizona. You ever heard of Sturgis? It's like a mini Sturgis. They have a remake of Buffalo Chip and blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I was out with my charter. I was getting on my bike, and my phone went off. And it was one of the you know bigger homies. And he was like, hey. Nipsey just got shot. I think I answered it. I think I took it the same way Biggie took it when they said Pa got shot. And he was like, oh, again? Right. It wasn't again for Nipsey, but it was more like. More likely that he would survive than that he wouldn't. This kid's swagger and intelligence. But I looked at the phone and I paused. Well, I've got 18 guys that's got to follow me. So I needed to keep a straight mind. And I turn to my sergeant at arms, who, wherever I go, he goes. And I said, yo, they just said Nipsey got shot. And he just kind of looked at me. He was like, you good? I was like, yeah. So I get on the bike. And I was about 30 minutes from home. I keep looking at the phone while I'm riding. I get to the house. And I call that same person. I said, how's it look? He goes, no, nah, he's gone. I still haven't mourned yet. That video of me going down to the store when I said, hey, I'm not going to the funeral. And people are like, you wasn't invited anyway. First of all, the funeral was free. Basically free. You know, you got the ticket. I'm not getting buried. If I find out any of my daughters buried me, I'm coming back and haunting their ass, getting cremated. But I didn't want to go because I was just with him a week or so before he died. Um, but I don't tell those stories to get glamorization. Right. You know, we got two songs together. We didn't need to do five songs or whatever, but I, don't, I still don't think I've mourned yet. I'm not a good mourner. Mm. You know, I just lost my mother and father three years ago, a day apart and a year apart. And I haven't mourned that yet either. But with Nipsey, it's... And the funny thing is, the cat who got shot, Carrie, me and Carrie grew up together. We literally... His friend. Yeah, the cat right. who fell, you know, right in front of him. Um, they got shot in the back. We grew up, like, since we were kids. Mm. 
And you look at the backlash. Here's the ignorance that I've heard. Why was Cowboy leaning over him, taking his chain and going through his pockets? Because law enforcement would take it. That's why. Mm. That's why. And it will be held for evidence or it will be lost. It'll never get it back. Um, I don't understand the world anymore because I don't read. I make it a point now. I don't read any more comments. But to sit here and say, Cowboy could have did something. Well, Kerry took a bullet in his back and fell face forward. Mm. The other homie that was with him, bullet hit his belt buckle and bounced off of him. What, are you going to blame him that he had a good belt buckle or or stupid cuz had a a bad aim? Mm. You know what I mean? But we live in this world where it's the, if it was me, if it was you, what? Right. Fag, you would have ran. You would have screamed. You could have a raspy voice like mine. It would sound like a six-year-old girl. Right. The moment you hear bullets, you know, I'm, I think I'm the toughest motherfucker I know, but you pull a, a jammy out on me, you got it, my man. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm going to remember you, but you, I'm not, you know what I mean? But I haven't mourned. I'll tell you a story. When Nipsey had his deal with Sylvia Rome, he was in New York, and he was walking through the streets, and... We always joked about how we had a sock fetish. I probably own about a thousand. But whenever you go to juvie or prison, or ju- you don't want to wear their underwear and you don't want to wear their socks. Right. I used to work in the laundry, so I know. And I got about a thousand. Nipsey same. He had about a thousand pair of socks. And I was like, what you doing, cuz? He's like, man, I'm looking for one of them bootleg watches, a Breitling. I remember it <laughs> verbatim. Remember when Breitling was hot for a second? Right, he was yeah. like, I'm looking for one of them Breitlings. And uh, getting some socks. He's like, cash, I got a hundred pair of socks for like $30. And we laughed about that. And then he said, hey, I'm going over to meet with some executives that live in the Hamptons. We were on the phone for about two hours, two hours after he met with them. And it's a story that I'll end like this. I knew at that point his whole life was about to change. Really? Because before then, he just had a hood record deal. Right. And when he sat with these gentlemen... Because I've never had a record deal. I've always had distribution. I put up my own money. When I, when I was with Bone, I never rode on the tour bus. I don't smoke weed. And I was really the only thug in the group. Mm. I was always on parole. But I've never had a record deal. After that, Nipsey never had another record deal. He learned flood the market. Flood the market. Catalog. But I will tell you, when he was in the Hamptons, I heard a grown man at that point. Mm. You know, so... In passing, if you sit angry, then you'll never understand what was his worth. So I'm not actually even angry. It's just I'll mourn the way I need to mourn. How'd you feel? How'd you feel about it? I mean, you know, it was not somebody that I was close to. It's like I had had DM'd him and tried to get an interview and never really gotten a chance to connect with him and stuff. But, I mean, I I consider myself like a spectator at this fucking miserable thing. My friend Desto Dub is from his neighborhood. He's known him since he was super young and, like, just living it through him and, like, sort of just seeing how fucked up L.A. was off of it is just, like, an unbelievable experience, I guess is how, what I could say about it. What, uh, But, like, what, what was your particular kinship from? Obviously, you guys are both 60s representatives right. and everything, but what was it that made you guys bond, given that you're generations apart? When I met him, he was... I always tell the story, and I know I'm wrong. I, I always say he was, like, 12, but he was actually, like, 14, and... He, I met him on Dime Block because my, my 
my homie, uh, well, I won't say his name, but my homie, you know, lived over there. We'll put it like that. And I remember seeing this dude, and me being a mixed person, I always trip out people's hair. Mm. Sounds kind of weird, but I always like, damn, what is he? Because look at his hair. Yeah, you it's know? kind of the defining character. I always say that it's like you probably shouldn't say the N-word if you don't have curly hair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's like the defining thing. Right, like that's an easy no if you got straight hair. Yeah, and, and me growing up with green eyes, long blonde curly hair, add some water, it straightened, you know, whatever. And I remember looking at him and he had this little ball, not a ball fade, but a little, uh, uh, you know, the European little shape. I forget what it's called, Caesar. Mm. And he was real quiet. But his hello to me, um, and this was 19... 19- I want to say this was 92, if it was even 92. He was 33, so just count back. This might have been 98. So if he was 33, what would he have been in 98? I, I dropped out in the ninth grade. Uh, 21 years ago? So, yeah, so it was weird, 98. I always say 90. I went to prison in 92. So it was around 98 when I got home, and he was young. And which I'm sure the trolls will be said, you know. But um, he, when he introduced himself to me, he was so intelligent. He wasn't out there like, yeah, yeah, with the super, super extras. Mm. And it was one of those situations where I was already in the music business. Um, it was just starting to happen for me. And I was managed at that time by uh, Henry Black Butler. I don't know if you remember the whole Jimmy Henchman mm. I remember it from like the G unit perspective, yeah. Well, his partner was black, who was from my hood, and black managed me, you know. And I remember black pulling up in the new 300 bands in 98, and cats from, damn, cuz, how could I be down and blah, blah, blah. And I remember someone saying, like, come on, black, put me on. How could I be down? How could I get a car like this? And black turned. And when I turned, I looked at Nipsey, and he, you could tell he was studying. But what Black said to this other little homie, he said, make the car payment. Make the car payment. That's how you can be done. You know, figure it out and go make a car payment. But Nipsey was studying. So over the years, I would say around 18, 19, that's when he, he learned. He was asking me how, because I used to always have CDs. And he asked me, how did I do it? I said, I bought this duplicator. Mm. And I learned that from Cats in New York, from Henchman. Tom right. Boots, Mario Henchman. My second album was executive produced by Mario Henchman. Right. Nobody will live as long as I've lived to do some of the things I've done because I just, opportunists, I always made myself, you know, there. But I said, go buy one of those big, it was 500 bucks then. You know, the duplicators, where you do CDs or DVDs. That was a hustle at the time. Oh, my God. And he was <laughs> selling bootleg movies and CDs and socks <laughs> and shirts. And we would go, I changed my phone number every six to nine months religiously. He changes his. So we would go and we I join social media, find him, we talk a little bit, then I go back into my shell. But there was never a moment. So when I seen him, that was just a fluke. Mm. It literally was, I was somewhere and they were like, Oh, he's over here. I said, Well, call him. And they called him. We saw each other for about 20 minutes. I actually owed him money for the Dr. Dre song. And he wasn't tripping, but I knew that I owed him. Mm. And we had another song called uh, Ready to Hop Out. And I got his information and, you know, the money's going to whoever now. But 
he he was a special dude, man. Right. When you look at his career, like when, when when I was going back through his catalog and watching his earlier stuff, it felt like, you know, he he was he had like, you know, whether it was five, six, seven years ago, he had videos out where he's drinking lean, he's talking way more reckless. Did you yeah. witness that transformation yeah. of him going from like a more street level dude to like by the time he passed, he seemed like so enlightened and like he was really this this voice of what people should be doing from the streets and stuff. I saw a video of him in a What's the kid, Mac? Mac Miller? Yeah. yeah. And they were both. And I literally opened a Twitter account because I didn't have his number. And I opened a Twitter account and I messaged him. And I said, little bro, I'm very proud of you. I said, but what I just saw, I'm not happy with. Mm. There, there's, no, there's no good outcome for that. And his response was... Um, Hold on, the way he started, and he typed it the way he said it. Oh, yap. He just put yeah, Y A A A P. Mm. If you ever met Nipsey and you ask me, he'd be like yap, and he responded yap. And, and what did you take that to mean? Like I know I'm yeah, doing yeah, something that's not yeah, good for me, yeah, but I'm I'm yeah. I'm I'm in it. Yeah, he because he, I, I didn't I didn't overly. It was just like, bro, so you don't need. I'm so proud of you, man. You don't need to be doing that. Mm. And his response was just that answer and. Who am I to say what somebody's DOC should be or what they, you know, I'm a person that goes home and will have a drink at home, mm. you know. Um, but any, listen, with the exception of weed, and I don't smoke weed, though, um, from alcohol, permethazine, meth, pills, you're going to die. Mm. When you're going to die, I don't know, it's like smoking a cigarette. Do you know what what cigarette actually goes, oh, let's give him cancer now. Mm. But as intelligent as Nipsey, I hate saying was, as he was, he also was a, you know, element of the street. He was, you know what I mean? And I know he went five months without smoking weed for a while and you know what I mean? But my thing was, <clears throat> you know, it's funny. I never um, went out and, overly search for his songs mm. you know i loved what he was doing but this is gonna weird you out but i actually stopped listening to rap you pull up next to me on my motorcycle you know what you might hear what some country really honest to god i had a cat i was up in uh oklahoma and one of the prospects where he's like big cats i'm president mcclay goes, the arizona wearing off on you man i'm telling you it's the white side of me <laughs> and he pulls up he goes big you big cats right prayer i was like yeah he goes you, what are you listening to? <laughs> and I think it was Chris Stapleton or something. And he goes, but you're a cat. You're listening to country. And I turn and say, and you're white boy and you're listening to rap. Right. Duly noted. You know what I mean? Mm. So I never listened to a lot of Nipsey. I think like a lot of us, because he was my friend, he was my little brother, but I had stopped listening to rap. Mm. When I listen religiously now, realize he said some of the song he said uh he named a cop that we all know and he said uh ball fade military crash unit he was giving you the little message that that's the dude that was setting up all the homies from the hood whether if he was doing good or bad but if he was doing good he's still he's the one that called the raid on nipsey's like if you really listen he gave away some of the best jewels of saying look this is what we go through when he says, look, I ain't nothing like you, uh, 
fake net, whatever the song is. Um, I ain't not like you other niggas or something, but, and then I'm sure the trolls will be like, you don't even know his songs. No, I knew him. Right. But he was, have you noticed you listen more now that he passed? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, his Spotify plays are like r ridiculously through the roof. Yeah. yeah. And what did you catch when you, cause I'm sure you listened, mm. but he wasn't heavily in your playlist. When you listen now, what do you catch about him? The growth, I guess. That's yeah. why I find interesting is like listening to his old stuff versus his new stuff, being somebody that wasn't super familiar with his work and just sort of seeing that development, going back and watching his old videos and seeing how different his demeanor is from mm -hmm. his more recent stuff. Well, you know, I used to always say this statement. I'm from the biggest crib hood and 60 niggas ain't never bought 60 in my records. <laughs> Those are still my homies, but if that's what you're... So when he came out with uh, Hustle in the House, I sent him a message too, like... You're alienating your crowd. He still kept it hood. You pull up any of my old albums, anybody don't know me, not, I don't care. Um, but he he gravitated. You know, I'm the first West Coast artist that Just Blaze has ever done a beat for. I was just one of those guys. Ice-T used to always say to me, I was just too literal. Mm. I really believe you're supposed to be a certain way. So did I fuck my career off? No, because I live well. But it didn't have the... That's why it feels fun right now doing what I'm doing, but it didn't have the longevity that it should have because I had everybody on my albums. Mm. You know, Nipsey elevated. You know what I mean? Cats on the East Coast loved him. Right. You know? So when, when people listen now, but, you know, hopefully I answered your question, it's just the relationship I had with him was watching a young man leave the hood mm. but never leave the hood. Right. I was one of the first ones with a clothing store on Crenshaw. I had a clothing store on Crenshaw on 48th, cross street from Fat Burgers. Then it became Chris Burgers. And I knew what I was doing. I knew that I also had the dope spot right there on 54th. Remember the Eminem video? Hi, my name is, mm -hmm. where he's on the bus stop. That was my dope spot up there. We ran him off that day when they came. That's why, you know, the scene is so short. Really? I was treacherous. I didn't care who you were. What did you think of Eminem at that time? I didn't like him then and I don't like him now. I don't, I don't. I don't you know, I always say Eminem is what Raskas and Chino XL should have been. Mm -hmm. I'm going to live by that. I don't give a fuck about getting critiqued or he is what Raskas and Chino XL to me, one of the most unnoticed Chino XL. Right. That's there's no way M didn't steal from him. And he said in many interviews like, yo, Chino XL tech nine people forget how long tech nine has been around. Right. You know, I'm not a lyricist. You're never going to get a freestyle out of me. It's not going to happen. I'm fucking retarded. I got shot in the head. I probably won't remember what we talked about two minutes ago. But getting shot in the head fucked your brain up, you think? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have Parkinson's. My, my, it was, I was hitting the, the, the soft lobe, so it went in, and then it pulled the scalp back. I mean, I pulled the, the back of my head back. You can stick your finger about that far in my head. Ugh. And so my long-term memory is shot. Mm -hmm. But about Eminem, I... No, I don't. Okay, cool. But why are you always so fucking angry? <laughs> like, yeah. Why are you? You couldn't get me. My first album, you put in Big Cass, B-I-G, C-A-Z. My first album was Thunderdome. Mm -hmm. Onyx was on the album. Ice-T was on the album. Bone was on the album. Corrupt was on the album. I mean, everyone. Booyah was on the album. J.O. Felony was on. And I was angry. Mm. I dissed Mac 10. I... 
It was about Crip. That one's called Thunderdome. What do we do from 16? We get put on a hood? Thunderdome. But how was your attitude about being a Crip? Was that you were at war with everybody sure. else? And if I knew you ain't never bought no dope from me, if I couldn't validate that you was... That's what's crazy at the age now. It's like people feel that I need to validate something. Mm. Well, I know who's those cats behind me on my album. I know the cats in the photo ops. You know, I know that's Keita Rock standing on one side and CJ on the other side. Not CJ Mack, but CJ. Mm-hmm. And I was angry, ignorantly angry. And I remember running across Stan Shepard, who was DJ. Remember, Quick used to always say Shepard Lane. Mm-hmm. That was Tony Lane and Stan Shepard. Stan Shepard was probably one of the biggest cats over at Motown. And I remember him meeting me. And he said, I'd like to take you from Sony and sign you over to Shepard Lane. I'll give you 500000 I swear this man, I die today and you hear about it. I went, I was sitting there. I got shot. I was in a wheelchair. And I turned and I went, nah, because I got fired. And plus, you fuck with that red rag. <laughs> That's how ignorant I was. Right. So when you see like Blueface come out and then all of a sudden he's doing songs with YG, does that still kind of stand out to you as like, this is a weird new era of gangbanging? I said in an in interview a few weeks ago, about a month ago, I said, I'm glad. It's like, look, I'm in an outlaw club. Mm. My club is supposed to don't get along with this club. But at the end of the day, we got in it for a mutual thing. That's motorcycles. Um, by the way, I say motorcycle. I don't say you do motorcycle. say it crazy. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> well, say bicycle. Bicycle. The, motorcycle. The, <laughs> the original word is motorcycle. Right. So the camaraderie is, is that we got bikes. <coughs> so if you don't like me because of the club I'm in, how is that any different than gangbanging? Well, we got out of gangbanging for the bikes. But I said this last, last month. I said... What is the point in even banging your hood anymore if you're going to do a song with a rival mm. unless you're trying to prove a point? And if that point has been proven, stop banging your hood. Mm. You know, and when I said it, I realized for once I didn't get any hatred because it was one of the most. It's like when Game first came out, who was someone I owe a huge apology to. Really? Oh, I was treacherous. I got his brother sitting up in my beat. Remember when he was knocked out by what? Right. It's a video I've never released of him sitting on the fifth floor of my beach house with Shade Shice telling the whole story about gang. Really? 24 hours after he got knocked out, knocked down. I was treacherous on gang. And I remember one of the homies saying, well, we fucking with cuz. That same day, I did a song. I said, what's the point if we gangbanging if nigga ain't really slanging them things no more? I was like, why are we, why are we even doing this then if you cool because this dude's going to make you some money? And that's always been the ignorance of this game. Because you can rep your block without hating all of the blocks without or wanting hating. to be at war with other blocks, but it took you a while to realize that. But or? if you're going to do a song, then there should be no more hatred in you because you're doing a song. A red rag is doing a song with a blue rag. Mm. So what are you repping for? It's like this. When Nipsey and YG were together, it was beyond an overstanding. Mm. When YG came down to the store after Nipsey died, I'm sure you saw some of the... He had to come back later because tensions are still high. You have to understand in this world, some people ain't going to forget. Right. But it does bother me that you're going to push this crip card or this red. And again, at my age, I don't give a shit. My handkerchief is for blowing my nose. Mm. I'm wiping the sweat. It just ain't never going to be a red one in my pocket. Mm-hmm. But what is the point in you still repping it 
because you just proved a different point. You're with someone else. You but know? don't you think that like gangbanging has evolved and matured to the point where people aren't looking at it as the same way it does? Like all institutions over time, like if you really were to look at like religions, hundred years ago, religions were the cause of a lot of destruction and death right. to the extent that they're not now. Right. Well, if you say an Armenian and a Turk, right, that's may death be upon them by mm -hmm. both their feelings. Right. You, know, you ever see an Armenian go like this? I ain't doing that for you got to know what that means. My girl's Armenian, so I, I know about this. Yeah. yeah. So I've been down that road. <laughs> um, but yes, it is elevated. But what it I had a very dear, dear big brother of mine who's who's the word big homie. And I'm sitting out at my house, two and a half acres of land, saying, Do I get my beamer? Do I get my new Camaro? Do I my and I'm sitting in the beamer and I joined Instagram and he hit me and was like, you need to holler at me cuz. And I got excited cuz I love him like a brother. Mm. Not a hood brother, a brother. And I stopped and I realized it was a little aggression in his post, his text or whatever, the message on Instagram. And I went, I'll let you about what? After we spoke, I realized I have disassociated myself with the, the negativity that I didn't understand that he just wanted to talk to me. Mm. You know, he needed to overstand something. Right. Because my mind was like, bro, at my age, I'm not cripping. Do I still catch myself doing so? Man, when Nipsey passed, I was, this was every day. But you have to come to realize some of those people don't want to leave that life. Mm. But where I'm at now, no, it ain't a war. I don't, I chose to go and sell drugs. I chose to tell myself I was taking care of my family. Well, if the end result that I went to prison and my ex-wife and my kids were living at their grandparents, how'd that work out? Right. How, how good is that for the community or for your future? Yeah. Right. And my child went five years without me in their life. Hmm. You know, me being the dirtbag I was, I just found my youngest daughter three weeks ago, who's now 14, and we just found each other on Instagram. Wow, really? amazing what the fuck i met literally and her mother had every right because in my mind it's like no i'm famous no, i wasn't i was famous by the eyes of okay if you were looking at that music shit but i was still a dirtbag right you know if if my daughters had to come to this big beautiful beach house and see another woman and go okay which one is she you know i wasn't setting a good example so for the years i had to go without seeing my youngest daughter and I got it. You got to take it slow because this street shit will set a dictation of how life is going to go with your children. Mm. You got kids yet? No. You plan on having any? Yeah, we're working on that. Okay, just keep doing <laughs> what you do. Just tell her lift her legs after you. All right. <laughs> um, I will tell you this: never let this. I give you any advice, what forever it's worth. Don't ever let this bullshit overdo the attention that a child needs. Mm. Or when Lena was there, when you was 50 cents away from having 60 cents. Right. Remember those days. Because if you start going, you don't understand. The moment you say you don't understand, you literally just said the most ignorant shit in the world. Because, uh, motherfucker, we was eating ramen together. Right. So I don't understand. I overstand. Yeah. But to go 10 years that I had joint full custody of a child, and I just swore I was never walking in another courtroom, to find my child on social media... And is she with jumping arms? No. We're taking it step by step. Mm. So when that beautiful thing does happen, brother, push away from some of this shit. Right. 
That's another reason why I'm in Arizona. Because people ask me why I have a big five-bedroom house with a pool. One day, hopefully, my kids will be in those rooms. Really? Even though three of them are full-grown. But to get, like that's that one day somebody's going to become a guest in those rooms. So do you want to have more kids? Is that something no. that's clear in your head? No. no? No, I just want my children to come visit. Right. You know, I don't have the brothers at my house. I haven't even gotten my fucking pool yet. You know what I mean? The sort of immature attitudes, the way that you look back on a lot of the gangbanging stuff, uh, how is the motorcycle world different in that regard? Because you're talking about a lot of stuff that seems like sort of parallels with different lieutenants and people having roles in these organizations. And when I think about a lot of the motorcycle stuff, I think about just a bunch of dudes beefing with each other. I don't know how accurate that is. Sadly, in the motorcycle world, um, it's testosterone. Mm. You know, to me, MC stands for man's club, not menstrual cramps. Women, I just, that's my, but testosterone and egos, and maybe add a little bit of alcohol or some other additives mm. will fuck a whole night up. If I hit you in your mouth, right? If I hit you in your mouth and said, what you so pissed about? I hit you with my weak hand. Is that any more disrespectful than my right hand? So you're going to remember that. Right. Sadly, where the parallels have come together is the memories, you know, the payback. I can say that I was in a city six, seven months ago and a club who I've had a long-standing relationship with saw me standing with a different club and it was 36 minutes of double-dutching, like, who's taking off first? Smarter heads prevail and we all went home, but it's something in 50 years that's never happened. Just think of the two clubs I'm talking about without saying the names. Right. And calmer heads prevail. Did that end a war? No. Here's the difference. When you from a turf, when you from a block, you waking up to say, this is my block. Well, if you in Kansas banging 60s, you know, and I've seen guests like, oh, I'm from Hoover, I'm from this. You're actually not. It feels good to the gang. Like, you know, we. I was in Sweden and I had a dude walk up to me. He was like, what's up, cuz? What are you you gonna throw a snowball at me? What gangbanging are we gonna do? You know. <laughs> but you're waking up to rep that. And you really believe I believed it, but I was I didn't really give a fuck if you was blood. For me, it was about money. Mm. In the motorcycle world, again, it's a dominance and it's usually about something in the past. I don't like you because you roll with that club. And at my age now, I'm like, well, I just I don't have to give you no attention. Right. You know, I mean that attitude is for people who have nothing. Yes, and usually if, if you got a raggedy bitch, she's going to hate on your woman. Right. And if you got a hating-ass, window-licking-ass dude, he's going to hate on you. And he is going to do everything in his power to somehow get to you. You know, When I first saw you, I was like, is he a skinhead? But I'm sure you got that. <laughs> yeah. Is he this? Because tattoos don't make you tough. Right. You go night-night just like anybody else. Uh-huh. But you did this alone. You have your crew. You got your cats. But you still, you were the idea of this. Right. Anybody that gets into the motorcycle world, you prospect. You know, for me, it was like, man, I'm big cat. I still had a prospect. I had the motherfuckers that couldn't tie my shoelaces calling me a prospect. And, okay, all right, I got you. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I got into it to ride my bike. Does that mean I still wasn't done with gang life? No, because I don't ever want to consider being in a motorcycle club a gang. When I did the documentary Life of a One Percenter, never in history has a Mongo and a Vago agreed to do an interview 
with a whole nother club. And they're in my documentary. Right. Go to YouTube. It's for free on there now. It's on Netflix. It's on Venmo. Life of a One Percenter. When Rude Richie, one of the longest standing Vagos, said, yeah, I know Gorilla. He was the only black member we ever had of the Vagos. For him to validate that, did some for black members of the club Gorilla ended up going to. Right. Chosen Few, the club I was in. You know what I mean? Vagos were like, we had a nigger in the club? Right. You know, that validation was enough for me. But the fact that they agreed to say it on camera, you know what I mean? Mm. Now, what change would I like to make? There's a detective out in Arizona. And never in my life did I think I'd A, be saying this on the air. And this cat approached me. He's head of gang task force. Mm -hmm. And he says... I know you don't sit down with cops. I've seen your videos. You do not like law enforcement. I don't. The moment you take that oath to say you have more power over me, no. He said, so I said something to him. I said, but you guys are getting this wrong. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, instead of ignoring me, would you be willing to sit down with me? Same way as that police chief said that Nipsey was going to sit down. Mm -hmm. And now people are saying, nah, Nipsey never said that. You don't know. He's dead. Right. Well, I'm saying it to that detective because he's going to watch this. Of course I'll sit down with you. Because if I can get you to understand when we turn and left, we're actually still going right. We're going the right way. Now, if you catch one dude with some meth on him, then fuck him up. Because we're going to police him too afterwards. Right. But I don't like when people call motorcycle clubs gangs. Right. If you do something in a gangbuster activity, then hey, man, take that. But we didn't get together to do this as a gang. Right. You know, if I take a piss on the street, why is my ticket going to be different than drunk Johnny that goes to UCLA that's pissing on the street, mm. you know? And But would it even be a possibility for you to be in the motorcycle world without being affiliated with something, or is that just not realistic? No, I could. I'm a one percenter without a patch. You mm. know, the man makes the patch. Patch don't make the man. You know, the tattoo that's on the back of my neck that says one percenter in California has been on there for years. Mm. And if, you know, I now am a nomad for the Rolling Knights, one of the biggest, again, interracial clubs, predominantly Latino, but, you know, we're everywhere now. And when I chose to leave the Chosen Few, it was cute when I chose to leave, the, when I left the Chosen Few, man, it was hard. But I left for reasons that I just couldn't. It's like you being with an ex-girlfriend, she might have been amazing, but when you wake up to her, you just don't want to be around her. Right. And I was struggling with it. Like, why do I need to join another club? And I realize I'm just not done being an outlaw. Can I be here without the patch? Yes. But I can make more of a point with a patch. Mm. You know, trust me, we get posts from military dude. Y'all are pussies with a patch. Pick up a gun and go shoot some Mexicans. What the fuck does that got to do with? I literally have gotten posts like that. Mm. Go down to the border and, and shoot some Mexicans. What? Uh, that would make you a man. Right. <laughs> so you got to think that dude who's at home. Is either beating his wife or eating some crackers and drinking a beer right then and there because that's about as good as his life gets. Mm. You're not in a motorcycle club to be a gangbanger. And gangs didn't start out that way. But a lot of dudes who get into the motorcycle thing are probably trying to fill that sort of void where they just want to be a part of something. They want protection. They want that feeling of unity that you got when you were younger from right. the gang thing. You got, I always say this saying, everybody wants to be a 1% until it's time to do some 1% of shit. Yeah. Some, there's two different kinds. There's some that really believe in this lifestyle 
You know, one percenter for me is just again, I'm one percent I give I'm one percent away from giving zero fucks. I don't want to go to church with you. I don't want to believe in what you believe in. If my if I have a patch that says fuck Trump, that's just my belief. Mm. Not because I'm a biker. Fuck, if I played tennis, I'd put a fucking lacrosse and then fuck Trump on the bottom. Is that real controversial in, in your world? Oh. How, I, I would imagine oh. there's got to be a lot of Trump love in the motorcycle world. Because 90% of most bikers are Caucasian. Right. And it very blatantly on all my cuts says fuck Trump. But I also say Trump is the best president in the world that's reminded us just how fucked up and how quietly racism has been. You know, but back to those two. There's cats that join gangs because they need that. And there's cats that join motorcycle clubs that need that. When the shit hits the fan, it'll weed itself out. The ones who really, really, you know, when I can sit here and tell you, I know a 72-year-old man that's been a chosen few for 55 years. He got a crack addiction years ago and was gone on dope for five years. He sold everything down to his fucking ankles. You know what he never sold? His motorcycle. Yeah. And when he sobered up, he came right back to the club. And to this day, he's still in it. Really? You know? So, yeah, I don't... Some people need that validation. 95% of the time, you watch anything on YouTube of me, I'm always by myself. Mm. If I'm, I just did a cancer run because I had cancer. And I did shit by myself. And I was saying, yo, you know, that club going to fuck you up on site and... All right, as my daddy used to say, if you kill me, just don't eat me because that's weird people shit. <laughs> Make it a cool story. That was his quote? <laughs> yeah, that was his quote verbatim. I guess I, I, I swear by that too. Yeah, don't eat me. Yeah, no, sure. that's, that's, you know. I don't want to die in this creepy yeah. ass way. Yeah. But tell the story. If I knocked out two of your boys, make sure you say, yo, he T-rolled two of our boys. Right. But I don't use the patch as validation. Mm. I use it as to continue this history, you know. Me going from the chosen few to the rolling nights, is that click jumping like it was if you went from rolling 60s to somewhere else? No. It means that it just didn't work with me and because then it would be considered a gang. Mm. Once in, one never out, which is bullshit. But it just means I've ran this course as long as I could. So now I'm here helping these guys. And a nomad, I'm not tied to anybody. Mm. I'm here to fix things. And that's it. Yeah. So Okay, that that side of you though is that is that still something? I mean, I guess I don't even know how to word this, but it's just interesting because you you talk about being a loner, and it just feels like people who get into that world are a lot of times doing it, whether it's the gang world or the motorcycle club world, where you get into that world because you want to be part of something. Mm. But you don't really feel the need to have the people around you like that. No, I don't. When I leave here. The, the whole controversy, motorcycle cats or gangs. When I leave here, I'm jumping in my car and I'm driving to Frisco, driving to Pittsburgh, California, actually, to go watch a very, very well-known Mongo graduate because he just got his degree. Mm-hmm. That's gangster. No, that's... He just likes to ride his bike and he's a Mongo. Right. But I'm going to his graduation. But is that considered weird for you to be friends with people who are in other clubs? or No, because, again, I'm cool with who's cool with me. If you have an issue with me, do me a huge favor. Always show it. Right. Don't be half-assed because I can't take that bullshit off my hand that you put on there once we shook it. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So for me, does that mean I'm cool with the Mongols? They've always treated me fine. You know what I mean? But he's my dear brother. Shout out to Livewire. who's graduating with a degree. Um, master electrician. But remember, when he gets pulled over, they don't give a fuck that he's got a son, that he's got a job. They just know he is blah, blah, blah from the Mongols. Do the cops hate 
motorcycle shit. Like Our they, fucking guts. <laughs> I bet. Bike week was two months ago, and if you go to my YouTube page, when you got a minute, it'll say, I got pulled over by gang task force. I live in the most suburb, pancake-ass neighborhood you could possibly imagine. Right. Why would gang task force just happen to be at the exit? Right. The bike week was, I mean, the bike thing was... 20 miles back the other way. But they specifically have a problem with you still? Oh, hate me. Even though you have kind of a quiet hate lifestyle at this point? Because I'm very vocal when it comes to law enforcement. Right. You know, when I was out in Ventura County and I had my clubhouse there, I let it be known, you come across those gates, badge or not, we're going to have a problem. Mm -hmm. You know? You want to get your feelings hurt, play tough guy. You have a five foot two female cop, fuck your whole day up. Right. But stand your ground in what you truly believe in. So my thing was always... I'm never going to lay on the ground. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. So you would go out shooting before you let them put you on the ground, start you? I don't believe in guns, but I'm going to definitely try to take your chin off if you feel that you're going to mistreat me. Right. I understand the law has a job to do. I just don't acknowledge them as the law. That is a true one percenter. Mm. But I'm not here to break your law. You know, I have my license. I have my registration. I'm a taxpaying citizen, but I'm not going to let you. You're going to beat my ass. It's it's gonna happen, you know. Right. It, it's not gonna work out for me. But like I said earlier, just tell the story that I at least T wrote a couple of y'all. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? It's law enforcement. I'd rather have an overstanding with now, which is interludes differently. I'd rather have an overstanding with them now to say, look, let's sit down where you're getting this wrong, right? Because they just look at one. That's saying that. In the 40s, something happened in Hollister, and Harley Davidson said 99% of most motorcycle riders are law-abiding citizens. It's that 1%. That's literally been the story <clears throat> for 60-some years. Uh -huh. That's not what 1%er means. It had nothing to do with just Hollister. That's something that happened there, and then they put a beer in a fake dude's hand leaning on a thing and tried to say that was a hell's angel. That's not what happened. A 1%er is just somebody that says, look, man. Just leave me alone. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Does that mean you're Ruby Ridge, the dude who shoots shit up? No, it just means leave me alone. Right. You know? So for me, my lifestyle, with law enforcement, do I want it to get better? No. Mm -hmm. I really don't. I want it to be a better understanding. If you've pulled me over 30 fucking times, could you pass on the 31st? Cause could, mm -hmm. you, could you pass the message that I don't have nothing on me but a bike? Right. You know, me having my gun rights back in Arizona, I'm always going to be armed in Arizona. I can whoop three dudes ass. I don't know if I can whoop five. Mm. So somebody's going to have to get an attitude adjustment. Right. But I'm allowed now that I got my gun rights back to carry. And I'll tell you what's dope. It was a certain law enforcement that checked for me. He didn't have to do that for me. He could have lied to me. Check if you had the right that to I hold the firearm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because how long did you have that you didn't have the right to have a gun? Oh, fuck. I caught the case in 92. Well, I caught a case before then. This um, is the murder case you were talking yeah, about in 92. Case, yeah. so can you tell me a little bit about what happened? You know, I beat it to death, but it was I was selling dope downtown L.A. Uh -huh. And it was a cat that was breaking into people's cars. And big, big boy. You know, they called him Engine Joe. Big, big motherfucker. He's actually Latino. And, Selling uh, dope for you at the time was just posting up in an apartment and you had people coming through to buy it? or I, how's... If you remember the New Jack City, I had, I'm not glamorizing, but I kind of had it like that. The uh -huh. Huntington Motel was owned by a Middle Eastern dude who was also an addict. So I had the whole top floor. Wow. And I sold heroin 
Um, I sold crack. I sold angel dust. You know, wasn't I got started doing glass? I not doing. I started selling glass um, when people were doing crank, mm. and I couldn't get people to buy glass because they couldn't smell it. So I'd be like, "Yo, just smoke it." Um, and I whooped on one of his boys real, real bad a few days before. And I saw him. I get out of my car, and I always would keep balloons. You know, your fuse box? Mm-hmm. I would always keep balloons filled with heroin and angel dust, um, PCP. One was one color, one was the other. And I get out, and he said, let me get a double, which would have been 40 bucks. I took the money. There was a little lobby of this chick who was a prostitute who used to fuck the owner, and she worked the lobby. It was like sodas and Snickers and hot dogs. Mm-hmm. And I have the money. I see him, but I'm like, why did I just serve this dude? I know he's with the dude I just whooped on. Mm. And I go to pay for the Snickers, hand it to her. She can get my change. She's like, what are you joking? And it was a torn 20. And I definitely knew he was running to go get a pistol. And I caught him before he got to that pistol. And, you know, I don't have a word like unfortunately or sadly because it was either me or him. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, basically choked to death. Right. And the cops just showed up soon after? or was, No, no. I, how'd I, they figure it out? A guy who owned it, there was a tailor shop. You know, downtown LA is historic. Yeah. And there was a tailor shop right next door. Go to the Huntington Motel, 9th and Main. That tailor shop is still there. I think it's ran by the son now. But at that time, it was the father. And he saw the whole thing. Wow. And I remember having one of the homies check, and he hit me. He was like, yo, he's dead. And uh, true story. I had the clothing store on Crenshaw, colorblind clothing, and I started doing fashion, which the the, the magic show in Vegas. And then there's the what spring, which in San all the Diego wear stuff, yeah. yeah. And I had a clothing line called Colorblind Clothing, and uh, <laughs> the way I got caught, I went and did a fake profile to get a cell phone, and fucked up and put my address on there. Uh. intelligent thug <laughs> and uh i knew we were getting private lived up in palmdale beautiful cul-de-sac paid cash for the house all drug money and i remember we, i was told we were getting new security mm. uh, it was like a gated area and i pull up and i remember my phone being i stopped at del taco and i remember trying to call my my wife at the time and my phone was off i was like how the fucking phone how's it off so I just buy a bunch of food and I pull up and I see this great car and I'm thinking, oh, that must be security. And he's, you know, doing the, hmm. not a care in the world. That's how careless you get when you start making money. The clothing store was just a front. And as I'm walking, I hear Eland, my name's Elon, but he goes, Elon. And I turn, he said, lay on the ground. I'm like, I'm not laying on the ground. I'm not disobeying, but, and then my garage opens up and it's, Every, every motherfucker from, they came from Burbank. How long did they have to look for you for? This went at least a month, month and a half. Okay. And uh, I go inside. My wife was pregnant. She was pregnant. She was due that day. I just remember it was on the 9th. I don't remember what day. But she was supposed, she was supposed to have the baby around that day. Right. And I remember this female cop. If you watch Life After the Penitentiary, and I did a movie called Glass, they actually interviewed the detectives. Lazy Bone plays my brother in the movie. Um, it's on Netflix. Um, it's called Glass. And they interviewed the real detectives that arrested me. 
Well, when I saw my wife sitting there with her handcuffs behind her back, a little Korean. I met my wife here, by the way. I didn't go get her over there. <laughs> and uh, I remember saying, take the fucking, and this little prick female cop walks towards me, and she, you shut the fuck up. You don't run down. And I kicked her in the face. Do you know trolls, you feel big and bad for kicking the leg? No, I kicked a cop in the face <laughs> that had my wife handcuffed. What right. would you do if your wife was sitting there? You know, and they beat the dog. I woke up and my eye was like, hey, how are you? We're going to be here for a while. <laughs> you know what I mean? But right. yeah, I ended up pleading assault with deadly intent. Shout out to Bradley Sandler. If you need a good attorney, hit up Bradley Sandler. Um, he was, quick, well, he still is, Quick's attorney, Sugar Freeze attorney, Nate Dog's attorney. Um, he worked on the defense team with Snoop. Mm -hmm. And he, we fought it for about a year. And Burbank Court. Uh -huh. I'm sorry, Glendale Court. And I remember when the, he said, well, what they're offering is one to 15. All I heard was one. I hadn't done prison time yet. I did jail time. One to 15. You don't hear that a lot now. I, it's, manslaughter, it's usually always one to 15. Oh, okay. I just heard one. How the fuck you get off on manslaughter? It was him or me. It was, you know, and a good lawyer. Okay. You know, um, but I just remember hearing one. And I was like, all right, fuck it. Let's do it. Because all I can remember hearing, I, I heard the 15, but I just kept thinking one. You're such an optimist. Oh, dear God, you got to think, think <laughs> yeah. hope, hope the worst, but hope for the best. Right. And I didn't have to turn myself in that day. And I remember, you know, because when you have a good lawyer, they gave me 30 days to turn myself in. And I remember mm. calling him. I'm like, yo, that's cool, man. Fuck, one year. He goes, no, 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 Cass. One to 15 means you're going to do a minimum of probably five. They're starting you at one. Mm. it's not a credit, but they're just starting you. And I ended up getting four years, 10 months. And if you're ever at the McDonald's on Century and Prairie, it's right there on the corner, been there for years, cross street and the horse track. It looks like there's a hotel across the street. It's mm. not, that's a halfway house. Uh, I haven't spent the rest of my time there. And uh, How long were you there? At the halfway house? Ooh, five months. Okay. And then I had a five-year joint suspension that I violated all the way up until... With the success of Bone Thugs and Harmony and my own success, I still was on somebody's probation or parole until I was 38 years old. Wow. So I got out of prison at 28. What was your prison experience like? Was that your first, that was your first long first bit? Prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it sucks ass. <laughs> I bet. You know, it sucks ass. You, you, within a week, you have a taste in your mouth that you just can't get rid of. A you, taste. It's just like aluminum type, like, because it's tunneled in fake air. It's not even air conditioning. Right. It's like a swamp cooler. So you just have this taste, this dry taste in your mouth at all times. Um, I just remember I couldn't wait because I had to learn. I had to learn the process. I couldn't wait to get, I think I got transferred. First, I went from the county, then to Wayside, then from Wayside, I got to Old Folsom. Mm. And anybody that knows the tattoo on my right arm, you ain't walking into a tattoo parlor going, hey, you got a picture of Old Folsom? And my mentor was Ellis Burham. He died in prison. He was 77 years old because I Your was Your prison young. mentor. Yeah. And uh, he never said any motivational thing. He, everything was like, well, motherfucker, you in prison. Right. Literally. Like, man, these eggs are terrible. Well, motherfucker, you in prison. <laughs> <laughs> like, he was... Cause he was in there for, he was already in there like 40 some years, you know? And I just, 
Well, here's what I hated. When they yelled out Guillermo Elan, Mexicans went like this. <laughs> Maybe he's Puerto Rican, not with us. And blacks was like, because you a Mexican? I'm like, there's an X in there. It's not <laughs> right. Mexican. S is at the end. Um, but because I'm from Roller Sixties, I, you know, obviously we know what you know why I politicked. Right. Um, how I had the program. Was that as simple as you're making it sound to be a non black crip in jail in LA? Unless you're trying to do it while you're there in jail, but I, I went in being known as, oh, that's Cass from 60s. Right. You know what I mean? It don't take long for me to go, oh, shit, there's Elmo from 40s. Uh, there's Swanee. There's, you know what I mean? There's Wendy. It didn't, it did not take long. Mm. Um, so no, but again, if you're trying to, uh, if you're trying to make something happen there, good luck. Mm. So, and usually, you know, it might be a, if you're black, you might go be a Muslim or you might be a Christian. But if you are reputable on the block and you're trying to move away from it, you go become a Muslim or a Christian. Right. But if you're going to program, what I always hated, though, was the race bullshit. Right. You know, the new single I have, Real One in the Sky, the Nipsey Hustle tribute, I say, black, white, and brown, we all from the same town, neighbors. I, I heard uh, Dr. Uh, crap. I can't remember his name, but he said, blacks are so quick to talk about the crap bucket mentality. You know, get in, trying to pull up, somebody else is pulling your leg. And Dick Gregory, the comedian, and may rest in peace. And he said, well, who put you in the bucket? Because usually we're, you know what I mean? And for blacks and Latinos to still to this day have issue I would rather see blacks and Latinos get along before I ever met Jesus Christ if he existed mm. or UFOs because you're talking about two races that came from absolutely nothing. You know what I mean? I, 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 it just, it disgusts me the fact that it's still that underlying hatred mm. and in prison it's a million times worse. Right. You know what I mean? So white people don't really matter, but the Mexicans and the blacks are completely against each other? Well, it's programmed that way. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's true. You got issues with, with the wood. You got issues with the wood. Right. But I'm half white, so what, I'm going to start hating the woman who, you know, gave me birth. Did you make it through that bid relatively unscathed? Nothing too... Uh, I had two fights. Two fights. Two okay. fights. I had a dude from Grape Street that we had... I was in a dorm, and we had these bunker things, and Kat was breaking into them. And I went into prison 165 pounds. Uh -huh. And, hey, man, could you? And I watched him pull that cuete in his. I was like, what the fuck am I going to do with that? And he was like, nigga, I'll stab your red ass. I, was like, well, I thought I was kind of tan, but right. I <laughs> See, you had that corniness where your logic is like, really red? Are you sure? Uh -huh. You know? And I remember my homeboy, my homeboy Elmore Forche, was like, you know, you got to fight this nigga. And, uh, I went and got a cuete and Ellis Burham heard about it. And he says, I heard you. He's like, yeah, man, this motherfucker ignorant. He goes, you're ignorant. I'm like, because I'm rolling 60. What do you mean I'm ignorant? He goes, what he's doing is normal to him. The moment you amuse it, you become part of his circus. I still got to go fight him, though. Right. But at that moment, I started learning how to program because I didn't know how to program. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got stabbed in my back. He stabbed me in my back and my tricep. 
and I got hit in the head with a like a soda can in a sock. Wow. But he could have killed me. Right. Because he couldn't take the fade. 165 pounds, I wore his bitch ass out. So while I'm on top of him, you know, they did what they did. So you got jumped while you were yeah, really. Yeah. And it was just me and Fauche. That was my bunk. Because you were about to win. I was winning. He was yeah. he was night night. It was it was, you know, and I you feel like you're getting punched when you get stabbed. And that's, you know, what I thought it was. Right. And then I went out, you know, and luckily you always fought by the church. It was always the safest fight, always the safest really? place. Always. Go by the, the chaplain, you know, he would break it up, you know. You don't fight on the yard. You know what I mean? Because they'll get break up, broken up too fast. Or you'll get shot. Mm. You know, and then the other fight was a quick one with just a cat that we just had some words in, in the kitchen. And So what know. was the game plan when you got out? And did that scare you straight or did it take no. more? No, not even close? Hell no. Would you say no. you're straight now? Oh, I'm 100%. I'm shit. I'm a nerd now. Okay. I'm as L7 as they come. But what, you know? what had to happen in between the, the prison sentence and now? Um, I told us, I did a, I'm learning this vlog thing. I did a vlog yesterday driving down here and I said, Thunderdome was the number two biggest independent album in the country. Number one was Cash Money. Mm. This is in 2000. And people were still like, who's Cash? And it was the number two highest selling independent album. I was distributed by Sony Relativity and I was flat broke. I was under the mentality that I could always just go back to selling dope. So when I tried the music thing, I'm like, wait, so what happens? I don't get the rest of my money or, you know, the story of me having MC search from third base beat up. And that's a true story. I don't need to twist that. It's not dry snitching. He owed me 13 grand. My deal was with MC search. Hey, Search signed you. Oh yeah, that was my first. That was my first deal. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. And why'd you get him beat up? He owed me money. Just and regular music industry shit. He or? owed me the balance of my uh, advance because it was quick. They gave me a hundred thousand to do the album. I did the whole album in ten days. Right. With all those names I mentioned, well, give me the rest of my money, and I ended up catching another assault case, going to jail. Big Reg bells me out. I'm supposed to be in Miami to accept that me and Jail Felony had a single called Pop Up. Mm -hmm. It was number one at Power 106. It was beaming up in New York. New York was playing it. Uh, Red Alert was playing it. Big Cap was playing it. And I go and catch a case. Hmm. And I the, go. The my, case you're talking about? No, a whole nother case. A whole different one. A whole nother case. We're in 2000 now. Oh, okay. And uh, I got out in 98. And uh, I get to Miami. And he's telling me, nah, record flopped. And I'm like, you couldn't go down Crenshaw. I wouldn't give a fuck if you was Ice Cube. I took my posters and re-plastered them. Remember sniping? Mm. And I snipe, you know, had a homies re-sniping. And what do you mean it? Well, I was signed to the same cat that uh, Trick Daddy was signed to. When he had that song, You Don't Know Nah. All right, but who is he signed to? Um, the name of the company was Warlock Records. He is the son of the guy who ripped off Frankie Lyman. Okay. Can't, the name escapes me. Um, Adam Levy and Morris Levy. Okay. Frankie Lyman was signed to Morris. Morris would stick his name on there. His son didn't, the fruit didn't, the dirt bag piece of shit didn't fall, fall from the tree. Right. Wouldn't give you your recruitment. You know, so I took it out on search. Mm. And he was outside of Justin's in New York. I got the call. And I said, and my, the check, the money was in my account the next day. Where the turn was, I was back to doing the same street, 
facilitating women, blah, blah, blah. And I remember being in Arizona on a travel pass, and there was no show there. And I got pulled over, and it was a detective. Uh, no, I'm sorry. There was an ATF agent that pulled me. I'm backing out, intelligent me, I want to go to a gun show. Mm. I didn't have no rights then. And I'm backing out, and a regular cop pulls over, and I'm like, the girl I'm with, I'm like, just roll, you know, I'm on a travel pass. We have a show out here. You have to carry an itinerary with you. And he said, I said, hey, do you mind if I pulled you over? When he said this, Adam, I bullshit you not, my testicles went, fuck this, and just went back inside. He said, oh, I'm not here for you. You got to wait for ATF. I think it echoed. I'm almost sure it did when he said ATF. And I just went, holy shit. He pulled me out the car, interrogated her, interrogated me, found the gun that we bought, that I bought for her. Mm -hmm. And he said, I just went all through your paperwork. You're a known, this is around 2006, 2007. He says, you're in 2006. He goes, you're pretty well-known, you know, guys, and you're typing your name. He goes, you got a hell of a rap record, but you're a rapper. And he says, I could fuck your whole world up right now. So here's what I'm going to do. What's your, what's your parole officer's name? Sepulveda. You better be in Antelope Valley in Lancaster, California by Monday. Give him my card, and I want him to call me. And I'm going to tell him, it's all good. It was just a mistake. But you better be there. And at that time, I was like, okay. Uh -huh. And I was done. So this cop gave you one little bit of leniency, and that just convinced you that, that was, it was the time. I was 36 at the time. Um, I, hadn't, I hadn't gotten the Tupac Masters yet. I got Tupac Masters around 38. And the fact that he could have I would have been done. That would have been my third strike. Mm -hmm. Buying a gun? You know right. what I mean? Even though I was like, oh, but if they watched the transaction, they watched me pull. Note to self, thugs, do not hand cash if you're a felon to a white girl, a black girl, an Asian girl, nothing, because you just did the transaction when you hand her the cash. Right. If she wants a gun, let that bitch buy it and you wait outside or uh -huh. just don't be there, period. But he woke me up and Judge Yadangua, Judge, Judge Yadanga, Rosemead, California, where I'd had to keep reporting to. He finally, I gave my number back and he said, you have been in front of me for the last nine years. What are you doing here? Right. And that's when life started changing. And then it just, you know, the Tupac Masters, I started buying catalog. I own Bruno Mars catalog, uh, not his catalog, but I own catalog from him. I own Neo catalog. I own Rick Ross catalog. I own 50 Cent cat. You can't make this shit up. Look at my records. There's, you know. We got to talk about all that, but I got to just take a piss break real quick. <laughs> I'm going to be right back.
All right, so tell me about buying catalogs and how this works. How you All got right. into this game. But now I got Adam now. <laughs> um, I never bought catalog. Um, anybody that knows the story, which again, I've you know told this one, you easily go to my YouTube page. If you go to Molly Maul's page, you know, Molly Maul from mm -hmm. Hip Hop, whatever the fuck that show is, um, Steve interviewed him. And uh, I, forget, I forget what other, somebody else interviewed him. And he said, you know, cat from 60s named Kaz, but uh, the Tupac thing, won't get into the story. Just say that I became in possession of it. I'm Why? making you give me that story sooner or later. <laughs> well, it's me and you. Okay. Um, but it's out there. You know, mm -hmm. go, go to that fat pig, Reg, the cop. You know, he'll he'll deny it all. Um, but I was in possession, nine-tenths of law's possession. This catalog was already supposedly sold and never turned in. Mm. Now I'm holding on to it. The part that always blows me away is when people are like, that negative... Steve Lobel was with me when we sold the rights back to Interscope. Anything that belonged to Koch, because before Koch became E1, they were Koch. And they gave Shook $10 million for the pot catalog, and he didn't turn it in. And then they were saying, Dad's had it. No, I had all of it. All, I didn't just have Pac, I had all of Death Row. Uh -huh. I, leave, I still to this day, I believe Lisa left I Lopez uh, last album. But you, you got it, like physically got it. It is in my... And that, that is enough to justify you owning it? It's enough to say that whatever is not... Uh, here's how it works. This keyboard. If somebody can't show you the original blueprints for this keyboard, but they do know somebody else made it, but you're in possession of it, you didn't steal it because they can't prove they have the patent or the blueprint. So nine-tenths. Well, if they want it back, they can either try to make another one, but they know this is the master's. Right. And you put a price on it. Uh -huh. So what I did, I knew I could never put out the stuff that belonged to Interscope. I could never put out the stuff that belonged to Koch. So I sold it back to him. I didn't give it back to him. And literally before we left New York, Steve Lobel was with me when we he called someone from Interscope and we cut the check and it was in my account later that day while I was still in New York. Koch, I was already in New York and did the deal with them. And since then, I ended up meeting with Molly because I didn't know what to do with it after that. I was like, the fuck am I going to do with this? Yeah. Steve got in touch with Molly. When I say Steve, Steve Lobel, Sean Kingston, you know, Molly Bone, Bone Thugs and Harmony. I had a ranch out in Arizona at first, and she comes out with a cop. You know, he's off duty, her, her bodyguard or whatever. And you have to understand, I've owned the Tupac Mat. I've been in possession of the Tupac Masters now since 2007. Mm-hmm. I still have not gone through all of it. That's how much stuff, that's how much work this dude would do. Wow. And she showed up with like this holy grail of all the masters. Because Pac would do four versions of every song. Mm. So she's going through it and she's looking at my stuff because I'm not going to go, oh, go through it and get back to me. Literally, it took three days they were in town till she realized, no, these, this is it. These are those tapes that people were talking about that were at the death row office that were not turned in. And that's how it started. Right. Now, Bruno Mars, anybody else, if someone produced for MC Pookie before he became Big Pookie, well, that dude probably ain't got no money no more, but he got those old songs. Mm. 
He might be trying to do a deal here and there, but I got cash right now. Right. So the Bruno Mars came about. Somebody hit me, said, hey, man, this dude used to work, and I bought those. This dude had some Neo stuff. The Rick Ross came about because I knew a cat in Jacksonville, Florida, that had Bootsy, Bootsy Badass, uh, Webby, Rick Ross. What's the kid that died over the fucking candy? He was... uh. Maka Flocka's uh, right hand man. Oh, Slim Duncan. Yeah, I had his old cat. Still to his dad. So his his mom kind of pulled it. I could, I could fight it and win, but it's like yo, dude's dead. Right. You know what I mean? Um, I don't need no money off that. So have artists? Have you run into a situation where artists are upset about you owning some percentage of their catalog? Because nah, if anything, shit, be happy that I'm putting your stuff out. Uh-huh. They still get their royalties. I don't. I don't. There's no dirt bagging me in that at all. Right. It's, I've ran across an artist that said, oh, I don't want that stuff out. I went, well, I don't give a fuck what you don't want out. I'm putting it out. Uh-huh. You know, and there was nothing you could do about it. I got cease and desist once in my whole, this whole time. By who? Just, I got cease and desist, but we fixed it. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, actually, I'll tell you, Selecto hits. Okay. And I own some very, very, very well-known. There's only a few big artists out in the South in, Miss, in Memphis. So just kind of put two and two together, and okay. and it was this crip nigga. It was never like this businessman, <laughs> and uh, that'll follow you forever. Oh, till I'm fucking nine, well, I, if I make it to that. But um, they cease and desist, and the way it works, so people don't understand, when you do a cease and desist, they pull everything off. You're proven guilty first. When you're talking about what, like the streaming companies? Yes, the- iTunes shot snap. Well, back then it was just iTunes. And it was record, it was distributors, you know. So if Navar Distribution, who's the buyer of, who does all the shipping out to all the stores, gets a cease and desist, well, they'll contact Selecto Hits and say, hey, man, this dude is, you know, saying that belongs to him. Until you show up with paperwork, Mm. you're fucked. They're terrified of the You're not getting that check. Yeah, you're not getting that check. And you're the best artist. I could not get a check back then. And when that happened, I had to start being more careful because, again, if you catch an MC Pookie and he broke, but it, Spice One was one of the first cats I started cashing out. Really? And Spice didn't trip. It was another label that he had did a deal with, and they said that music was supposed to belong to them. In the end, I still won, but it still stopped my money for about six months. Mm. You know what I mean? So I get cats like, yo, Cass, can you teach me the catalog game? There's no catalog game. I just, like, that's not shit you're going to do today. You know what I mean? I just have enough catalog to last me forever. Wow. You know what I mean? That's, you have to forget. I mean, Rick Ross toured with us, and it was us, Mac-10, us, Mac-10, Bone Thugs and Harmony, Mac-10, Rick Ross, oh, and Young Jeezy. I have a shitload of Young Jeezy. Really? Shitload. Wow. It's an interesting thing, though, because it's like music has a value, but that value tends to go down over time besides certain artists where it then tends to rise over time. And it's like, you know, if you own a bunch of Young Jeezy, it's like the time to own it was probably, you know, 2006 when his run started, but it's still... But that would have been the most dangerous time because now everybody's independent. Mm. And understanding, like if you do a mixtape, you giving it out for free, that's public. So how are you going to say somebody can't make money off it when you gave it away for free? Mm. I never did that, but I know labels that did do that. 
Right. You know what I mean? Smaller independent distributors. It's easier now because I don't have, all I do when I fill out my, I'm distributed by Ingrews, Universal, mm-hmm. and Empire. I have a deal over there with Gazi also. So you have a deal. You, did you have a deal? No, you, you were somewhere else. I was with Atlantic for a while. I got a new thing now. So if you get to the bottom when you're submitting, it always says withhold royalties. Click yes. Because if you click fucking no, that artist can hit you and you're fucked. You're not going to see that check for a while if you ever see it. Mm. So I make sure I put that person's name. And it's BMI or ASCAP's job to find them. It's not my job. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been doing. I This new thing I'm doing, literally, there's two of the biggest outlaw motorcycle sports bar in Cave Creek. I ran into this cat that was singing some sublime song, big old swole peckerwood. And he's singing these sublime songs. I'm like, yo, who the fuck is this dude? Find out he's the owner. When Nipsey passed, I said, man, I want to do this song. You sing, can you come sing the hook? And I didn't know he rapped. And I, I never thought about coming out of retirement. It's like you asked me if I moved back from Arizona. And I was like, nah. And we went in the studio and we left like the Nipsey joint uh, the wrong way, kick up. We, let, we did three songs in one day. He's one of those cats that he's well off, I'm well off. We can do it because we want to, not because we have to. And they'd be like, what are we going to call ourselves? And again, me, Lazy Bone, and Rear from Booyah Tribe had the Head Knockers. We only did one song, so I've always owned that name. I was like, Head Knockers, you big old white boy, ride bikes, and I do it. And videos out, sent it to you. Singles doing amazing, um, and it's fun. Mm. Do I want to get back into the music business? Fuck no. I don't think I ever want to perform. If it can make him money, because he's one of those cats that he was from a small town in Arizona, very talented. This motherfucker was singing Purple Rain, and I almost lost it. Like, nigga, you big ass just hit them notes. <laughs> but it's my man KP. But go to Cave Creek and see that it's a multi-million dollar, two different bars that are, you know how you got Coyote Ugly? Right. Imagine two of those right next to each other, and they're both packed to capacity. And you own those? No, he does. Oh, he owns yeah. them. Okay. Um, my place is called Beers and Wings. Let me know. Give me a holler. It's on Roscoe and Winnetka right here in Canada. I Canada love Park. wings, and I'm willing to make a, a comeback to the beer game. Sure, why not? Brother, if I'll send you the link to the commercial board right there on the corner of Roscoe and Winnetka. I've had it seven years. You ever have tax problems? Invest in a restaurant. Really? Yes. You will never make a dime, but you will fix your tax problems. Really? Yes. Because you have a million expenses? Toothpicks. <laughs> Napkins. You know what I mean? Right. The toilet tissue. Everything's a tax write-off. But that's what's made this new group, Head Knockers, and the single Wrong Ways Out. Real One in the Sky comes out June 10th. Rolling 60s, we celebrate Hood Day on June 10th, 10 and the 6th, 60. Okay. So the single comes out then. Um, And it just feels good, man. You know, other than that, I I pick and choose when I want to put some catalog out. Um, Put it like this. Beatles, new Beatles. There's no fucking such thing as new Beatles. Mm-hmm. But they always, luckily, always find a new couple new two songs. Right. Then they put what? Eight more remastered and re digitally mixed. Well, real music connoisseurs, man, I, I, I need that. Mm. You know what I mean? But it's crazy because, like, for a long time, there was tons of new Tupac records coming out or old Tupac verses that they would stick on a song with somebody else. You don't see a lot of that now. Well, they've kind of put it, the Pox Life album, that all came from me. Okay. That's the one that Nipsey was on. So there's certain projects where they came to you and said, we want to do this project, we need songs, and then you yes, let them explore the catalog? Yeah. That's how it always works. I'm, I'm sure I'll be meeting Molly. I can tell you with a 1,000% guarantee, 
I'm probably in possession of at least, just for me and her last meeting a few years ago, no less than 100 more unreleased songs. Wow. Pac would go into the studio, and as long as he had weed, whatever else he did, this guy would just say, turn the beat on. Like I was the first person to hear Let's Get It On with Grand Poobah, Biggie, Pac, <coughs> and Heavy D and Smith and & Wesson. Jesus. I'm still in possession of that. Wow. I'm st- and it's the re- it's not like he didn't. No, they were all in studio together. And I still to this day have that single. Holy shit. You know what I mean? That's because it don't belong to nobody. Right. It's in my possession. You know, people ask me, will I ever sell the Pac Masters? I don't know. You know what I mean? It's look at all my records. I'm the only guy. Do you know I'm the only artist in history that has a song with Biggie and Pac on it? Really? If you pull up the Just Blaze beat, I am, that me and E-40 did, I put an unreleased Biggie and unreleased Pac. Name me one other artist that has that. Wasn't there like a Big L song? Or there was some song with Big, with Tupac and Biggie back in the day, wasn't there? I'm forgetting. When he was doing the One Nation. No, he was dead by then when Pac was doing One Nation. No. Well, I felt like they did like a posthumous Big L, Tupac, Biggie record. Or maybe I'm oh, thinking of something else. No, no, you're thinking right, but it's yeah. a remix. Okay, It's yeah, a remix. Yeah. Well, mine's a remix. Mm. But I'm talking cleared. I'm alive. I'm the only person that has that. You right. know, I got a joint with Slash from Guns N' Roses because our booking agent was Jamie Adler, Stephen Adler's brother from Guns N' Roses. Wow. I'm in Sweden. Me and Slash met. We did a joint together. I've done some things that most motherfuckers be like, wow. And for me, it was like, all right, that was cool. But the Tupac stuff, I don't want to, even though I didn't like him, even though I didn't, I wasn't a fan of his, I don't want to uh, demoralize his name by just throwing bullshit out. Uh-huh. If I, every two or three years, I'll take one song and put it on something. Um, the Bruno Mars, baby, uh, can't come back to me. It's Lazy Bone and Bruno Mars. I've only done one Bruno Mars. I got about... 13 more songs done. I mean, left that are unreleased. Right. But the Tupac stuff, it's usually I get a call from Molly. She say, we're working on something. Can I come see you? And that's it. Right. You think Bruno Mars knows about you or gives I a know, shit? No, he, 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 when we had, I, was, I had to go to litigation on his stuff. Right. And uh, I won, you know, because it was a producer that was unpaid. Mm-hmm. And I paid the producer. But when I first was cease and desist, they didn't cease and desist me on the song. They cease and desist me. Said I couldn't. His name's not Bruno Mars, right? You know, some, some other crazy ass shit. They said I couldn't use it. In the end, I won because I could use it, right? You know, so it's little silly stuff. That's like the that. record industry game: is to throw somebody in court and assume that they're going to tap out before you, right? I got the original version for "Real One in the Sky." I won't make this producer famous. He originally did the beat. Gave me the beat in 2009. It was a Stevie Wonder ribbon in the sky. I was going to call the song Crippin' in the Sky. <laughs> yeah, I mean. And... I like where your head is at, though. Make everything gang related and it'll sell. But I, that was my mind state. And... That's how it is on YouTube, too, for the record, is that I could post a video about anything. If you got Crip or Blood or Hood or somebody's neighborhood or whatever, motherfuckers are watching that oh, shit. Oh, they love it. It's they crazy. It. Yeah. And, it's... and it could be somebody nobody has ever heard of, but if it's so-and-so talks about the Crips, blah, blah, blah. They're clicking. Because now it's become a household name. It's like, yeah. you know, when you saw on Disney characters, Crip Walking, if you don't knock it the fuck off. <laughs> but but I I had the beat. I We made the video. The original video has this kid's track on it. 
when we went for the clearance, Joe Beth Music, which is Stevie Wonder, wanted a hundred percent of the public. I'm sorry, they wanted fifty. They wanted a hundred percent of the song, the music, mm. even though he put beats over it. So that meant take his publishing and take hundred percent, you know, Stevie's, and then they wanted fifty percent of the writers. Wow. So that's me and KP. Mm-hmm. So that leaves fifty percent left, and the producer was like, "What am I? You know, we're like, what? Are, well, I'm giving up all my proceeds." to a charity anyway for, for the Nipsey song. Mm. Well, the producer decided, Yo, I'm, I'm giving the beat to somebody else. I wouldn't give a fuck who you giving it to. It's been in my email since 2009. Mm. The video went up. I got, you know YouTube. I got a, what is it? You get a, a check or you get a- You uh, got a copyright uh, yeah. claimed, yeah. Yeah, but this was like, a, you're getting your first, you know, and you get two more, you do vote. And I'm like, what the fuck? But I can't, first it was like, you know, I didn't have a phone number. I'm like, cuz on Crip, you bitch ass. You know, and I realized, look at what I just did. I just brought that stupid ass gang banging into it. And I stopped. I went, whoever you gave this to, which I know who he gave it to, I said, this dude ain't gonna never fucking put a song out. But you getting caught up in the sauce thinking it'll happen. This is out. Nope. I'm sitting at my clubhouse Sunday night. Mm. And I get an email from YouTube saying the song's been reinstated, blah, blah, blah. I deleted it and put a whole different remix on there. Because now you can't make nothing. If I was a dirtbag, I would have kept it. But it was like, I don't want it. Right. Because you know I, mean? I still would have had to pay Stevie Wonder. So my man Shorty, this cat, Latino cat from the South, does that, uh, what's the music they call in the South? What they could... Snap music? Who are you talking about? Uh, Shorty Love? No, no, not Shorty. Uh, Shorty this Red? Kid, this, nah, he's a new kid. Oh. New kid. His name's Shorty. Bad little motherfucker. And a red rag and a blood. Okay. You know, turned his life around, working kid, but he's in Atlanta, I think. He just found me on YouTube, was like, yo, <coughs> can I sing you a beat? And now he's got a, a hit, you know, a big song on the radio now. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, so it's it's a game like that. The whole thing is to be careful. Don't get cease and desist. You know what I mean? Because Spotify and iTunes will not fuck with you anymore. Mm. And complain all you want about streaming, but that's where those checks really come from. Yeah. I make more off streaming than I, streaming than I do off iTunes. Yeah. You know, you've experienced that. You know, nobody buys music online no. digitally anymore. No. It's all streaming shit. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, whether if it does a billion streams and you get a million dollars off that, be happy. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I, you hear all the time people complaining about how much they make off Spotify. I'm sitting down with rappers. They're talking about I get a million plays on Spotify and make fucking six, seven, eight grand. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, who, how are you going to complain about that? Like, what did you have before then? Yeah. I always tell the record business story when cats are like, man, that's my music. I believe in this. Well, if you got a weed habit, you just fucked off half your, your chance right then and there. Because mm. you could be promoting your own music. By the time, let's say, because there are no record companies left, but let's say Motown comes knocking and they give you a $10,000 advance, then the rest goes towards the record and shit like that. You have $10,000 for the seven years you've been trying to get put on. Hosea Jack in a Box has made that four times. Mm. So, like, how are you complaining? The game is so easy now. I, I was taught, there's a company in Arizona called 101 Distribution, owned by Damon Evans. Brilliant. Brilliant. Flood the game. Flood the, don't put one fucking record out. Mm. Put a hundred out. Because there's a billion songs on iTunes. How are they going to find you? Right. You know, I got that one. Okay, let me know how they find you. <laughs> you know, because I still got to cut that check 
to Leilani, the radio rep who does radio. I got to shoot her her money. Then I got to come up with another 10 grand to make sure the DJs are good. Nowadays, we're in a market where it's like, you know what? Let me just keep pushing these videos. Right. You know, are you learning that radio is just kind of dying out? I don't think I've ever had anything come even close to the radio. Yeah. I don't know. Even if you felt it was a radio single, you just didn't. I mean, when I was with Atlantic, like that would have been the thing that they were dealing with. And I don't, I don't fucking, I didn't really ever get too deep in all that. Right. Yeah. For me, it's when I have to decide. And I do got to, because I, you know, when you know you have a radio, radio song and you have a, a, a clear shot, you got to spend the money. Mm. When people don't understand, if you don't spend money, you're not going to make it. Right. And you got to make sure you're willing to fuck off about a hundred grand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and not everybody's got that. Facts. So. Man, this has been a great conversation. I feel like I, I actually kind of feel guilty about the fact that I'm sick right now. And I took fucking like, I don't know what the fuck it was. My girl gave me some pills earlier. And I'm just like feeling like I, I normally would be a little bit more upbeat. Nah, man, but this man, this has been, been a really interesting conversation. You know, brother, I appreciate you having me. I was like at first, like, yo, what's he want to talk about? And mm-hmm. if you notice, I didn't see, you know, cliff notes or no, this is what I want to talk about. Nah, yeah. This is literally like two cats that ain't never met. They're sitting at a fucking coffee bar. And it was like, that's your bike out there? <laughs> well, it wouldn't be coffee involved, but that's we had a bar, and we just shot the shit, right. and that's what I do find interesting about your channel. Because I remember first it was about weed, and it was about you and your old lady and your first threesome. Show you I've been following, <laughs> and you just being like, "Yeah, shit happened. It was great." And you disappear, and then she like you just got a charisma about yourself, man. That you know, you know the index finger story. When you point your finger at one, you got three pointed back at you. Okay. It's, until you accept those three, don't ever accuse anybody of anything. Well, if somebody points their finger at you and says, yo, Adam, blah, blah, blah. Well, the time that you're taking to talk shit about this man, mm. you're going like this. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm not even going to point my finger back. I'm going to go get some work done. Right. And what you've managed to pull off, I, I applaud you. You know what I mean? I, I, I live a life. Thank you to the IRS that's woken me up. Um, I live a life very comfortable. I'm probably the most frugal, richest person you ever meet in your fucking life. Mm-hmm. I don't look at a car and go, I got to have that. I look at a car and go, ah. All right. You know, over and over and over again. I watch you and I have not watched you floss not one fucking time. Mm. You know what I mean? Stick with that. Because the closest motherfuckers to you will be the first one to fuck you. You know, if these cats in this room are the ones that's down with you, stay with it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? When a motherfucker has time to sit here and talk shit about you, he's doing the index finger, you got to stop and go, the time that I'm about to give him to lash back, ask yourself, what is he doing while he's pointing that finger? Mm. You know, so you allow me to come here, man. Whatever, this was just shooting the shit. I, I'm not sitting here going, yeah, but the album. Yeah, but the album. We just shot the shit. I'm going to press you about the Tupac stories next time. I, I tell you, I, you know what? I tell you what. And it'll be on my dime. You want to come out to Arizona? Oh, I like that idea too, yeah. And just come, and you'll be blown away if you go to Cave Creek. You'll be like, are we in fucking Texas? You know? Right. And, you know, they're real serious with the greenery. And I know you, you know, we got clear up your, except for me. <laughs> but I will tell you, when you come to Arizona, I'll tell you the same thing Dr. Dre did with Demiza. Dr. Dre asked Demiza to break the white boy who was Eminem. Uh-huh. And he said, tell me the NWA story. Here's what I vow to you. And I swear this on my kids, man. I die today. I'll say it again. I never told the whole story. You show up to Arizona, 
and I'll tell you the whole story. And it'll be on my dime. I'll book your room, everything. Oh, I just don't want to record. No, if I say it once, I mean it once. I just don't want to record it. So when I'm dead and gone, and I'm going to show you the pictures. Why you? Because I don't do, with the exception of the other cat I did something with. That was just growing up in L.A. And, mm. you know, he asked me about dating Sammy the Bull, Gravano's daughter, little weird shit like that. This has just been cool. Yeah, I appreciate you know what I mean? this. So I give you my word. You make it out to AZ, I'll tell you the whole story. Shit. And I'll show you video that nobody has seen on Tupac. Wow, really? That will change the whole fucking story. And I'll give you a hint. For every video shot, just know there's another one that had nothing to do with Death Row. Really? And I have those. Amazing. Fuck, I'm ready for that. I'm there. Big Kaz, I feel like we're going to be friends. <laughs> hey, man. Let's stick yeah. together. Just don't tell anybody. Anybody ask, I'm a piece of shit. No, I'm not a piece of shit. <laughs> no, no. I think, I think you just won over anybody who might have had <laughs> qualms about you. You know, man, if you can live life and leave somebody with something, that's evolution. Right. You know, if you're an asshole, then accept that. I hope people just go, hey, man, he's all right, dude. No, no, definitely. That's, that's the impression I got for sure. Thank you for having me. Make sure you wear that gear, man, when you get some time. It'll, oh, I will. No it'll doubt, make, yeah. It'll, and maybe somebody will stop and go, don't point more guns at him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe that'll help. <laughs> I saw those. I saw those. <laughs> All right, yo. Big Kaz, I appreciate it, man. It's been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, no Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. Check us out on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes. Oh, can I say my social media? I'm getting of good course, at Of course, yeah. We'll have it on the screen, everyone. Instagram, G-U-I-L-L-E-R-M-O-B-I-G-C-A-Z. Guillermo Big Kaz. Okay. And then YouTube is just Guillermo Elan. G-U-I-L-L-E-R-M-O. Last name, E-I-L-A-N-D. Mm. That is my YouTube it's good for me to meet another Guillermo because there was a Guillermo we were in high school with and we used to sneak up behind him with the air compressor while he was in class. He's a big fat Mexican kid and we would we would fucking blast it in his face <laughs> and the fucking fat face, like his skin would be flying everywhere and we thought it was the funniest thing he's in the probably, world. He's probably a cop now. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be honest. I know cops aren't always the smartest guys, but I don't know if he had the IQ to be a cop. Like I said, he's probably a cop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yo, big Kaz. Well, I appreciate you, man. Thank, Thank you. you. brother.